back to yet another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers and shakers of TV and filmmakers, where we talk with directors, writers, producers, actors, composers, costume designers, production designers, and the list goes on. Um, We cover all aspects of the craftsmanship that goes into the art of film and television uh, making. And very excited with today's show. Uh, Joining us at the midpoint of the show is the fabulous Elaine Ballas. Our regular listeners will remember and recall that Elaine has been on the show before. Very excited to have her back. Last week we had on Lenny Britton and Sam Bretan talking about their film, Free Lunch Express. Elaine is in that film, playing Mrs. Bernie Sanders, no less. So she's going to join us at the midpoint of the show to talk about that film, in addition to another film uh, in which she stars, Love Without Hairs, and she has a book out. How to Write a Book Campy Lane Style. So we're going to talk to Elaine about everything. And I have to say, she is she is more effervescent than a bottle of your best champagne. Let me tell you. Uh, Elaine is a doll. She is her generosity, her kindness. She And she is super, super talented. So I'm so thrilled to have her back on the show. Uh, and she'll be joining us around the midpoint. But before then, you're going to get to hear my exclusive interview with renowned composer Brian Tyler. Uh, over the past years, you've heard me talk about Brian uh, in relation to his scoring for Yellowstone. And anybody who knows me knows my love and affection for Yellowstone. And sadly, because I'm here today, I am not able to interview Cole Hauser, who has a film, who one of the stars of Yellowstone. Uh, He has a film that's coming out shortly. But I am here with you and not talking to Cole. My heart is breaking. Um, But vicariously, we have Brian's interview. But Brian has done something. He has composed so many things, over 70 films. He has been named Film Composer of the Year back in 2014. Uh, he is the one who created the uh, scoring for Avengers Age of Ultron, uh, Furious 7, Iron Man 3, Thor the Dark World, the Avengers Fanfare. Uh, you know Brian's music, uh, and you've known it for decades. Uh, now he composes the score in what is really his first musical uh, for Clouds, Disney's Clouds, the Beautiful story uh, based on the on the real life story of Zach uh, Sobiak, seventeen year old, great musical talent, and uh, suffered from osteosarcoma, and eventually died from it. But during his life, Zach made a great mark on the world with his music and with himself. And one of the people influenced by that was Justin Baldoni, who's the director of Clouds. And Justin had worked with Brian previously on the film Five Feet Apart uh, and asked him to come on board to score for Clouds. And interesting about scoring for this film uh, of Clouds is that Brian went back to Zach's own music 
to draw inspiration from and to incorporate a lot of the instrumentation, the organic instrumentation that Zach used and developing a motif that played on Zach's incredible, incredible uh, song that just took the world by storm uh, that he and his partner Sammy uh, wrote and recorded. Currently, out, Clouds is available on Disney+, Plus, of course, but... Also, there is a soundtrack that has all the vocal recordings, but then there is also the score. Uh, and where's my note that I I even wrote a note? Yes, the original score album, which Walt Disney Records put out, and that contains all of Brian's work, uh, including a beautiful cloud suite. Uh, it's stunning. And the soundtrack is fabulous. Interscope released the soundtrack. So, and you can get them all right now. So without any further ado, and Brian, definitely, this is a four-year consideration interview because he definitely is award-worthy as we start narrowing down uh, the candidates for award nominations. So, Take a listen to my exclusive interview with Brian Tyler talking about composing for clouds. Hello. Is this the fabulous Brian Tyler? Hey, how are you? Hey, Brian, it's Debbie. I'm fine. How are you? Good, good. (laughs) Great to talk to you. My most favorite composer around. Oh, thanks. (laughs) It's like, this is a real treat. We're not talking Yellowstone this time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> of course, you can tell me if Beth lives or dies, and I won't hold it against you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not saying a word. Oh, damn, damn. Well, I've got a word for you about this, about the score for Clouds. And the, oh, thank you. And the word is ethereal. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that... Uh... That would that would do it. <laughs> I mean, Brian, this is so beautiful. Every motif in here. Oh, thank you is so much. Gorgeous, and it comes as no surprise to me. You, yeah. You tie it all together with limited instrumentation. Yeah. I yep. absolutely am in love with your use of xylophone and symbols. Yeah. And I'm detecting either some chimes or bells in addition. Yeah, oh yeah, lots, yep. Oh my God, it is, each motif is as beautiful as the next with your arrangements and with your instrumentation. And the way that you bring, you use tremolo so much in here. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard it used in a score of yours as much as here, but sure. it, it fits for the tentativeness of Zach's medical condition. Yeah, exactly. No doubt about it. Um, where, where do you even start when Justin says, hey, I want to work with you again, Brian, and this is yeah. what we're going to do. And yeah. it's, it's ba- inspired by a true story and a real guy and a real family. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, that's just it. It's that it, it needs to be, you know, it, it, so carefully done in the sense that it, it 
is starting from the beginning because really Zach was someone, you know, it's a, it's a, it is a true story. He's 17 and he was a songwriter and he, his life was cut short. I, you know, I had to go back and start even before we were filming. Now, Justin knew Zach well personally because mm. he heard his story and then he went and basically like lived there for a good portion of the last year or so of his life filming him and docu- doing documenting him. Um, and so they became very close, Justin and, and the family and everybody. And so he really wanted to make a film about him and we had just finished up Five Feet Apart and he's like, look, we're gonna, think I'm gonna do this film about Zach. And, and you know, I had known, you know, Justin through, through throughout this time and so I basically we thought you know what we should do is start at the beginning which is Zach's music mm-hmm. and I went ahead and I, I realized this is going to be two things for me I was going to be bringing Zach's music to life in the film and producing and doing arrangements of his songs that he wrote mm-hmm. and and so in that way, it was a musical. I went back in and, you know, uh, transcribed it and listened to the, to the recordings that he did. And then we cast the film and then the lead actors, you know, had to play um, both Zach and Sammy and, and the two characters that sang all this. So we had needed, to, needed to work with them playing the instruments live on set singing the songs, becoming kind of, becoming Zach and Sammy and, and kind of getting in that mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that way, it was different than any film I've done because I started, I was, it was a part of the filmmaking process and using my songwriter producer hat to, to bring these songs into the now and for specifically these actors. Then the tough part started, which is the score. Now, how do I convey the theme for a real live person that has passed away that that is so special and whose family is around to you know who's very involved in terms of I, I just wanted to honor Zach to his family and loved ones and friends and to do that, it's a different responsibility than writing a theme for a superhero. Right. You know? um, and, and in a way, what I did is I just had to really let go of everything, of worrying about the things normally maybe would get in your mind when you're writing a score. Mm-hmm. What does the studio think? What do the producers think? What does this person think? What is the public going to think? None of that. doesn't matter. All that mattered is what would Zach think? And what I did is I dove into... His family is really nice enough to be so open about things. I was able to listen to his mixtapes that he'd make. What was he listening to in 2011, 2012 when he was writing music? You know, what was what was his inspiration? What was he striving for? He was always a he was a young musician who was just getting started and learning, and he was learning his craft and wanting to expand his horizons and become better at music and writing and singing and guitar and all these things and he listened to things for inspiration and kind of as for him aspirationally to look up towards what he could become so 
listen to all sorts of music. He was interested in film music. He was interested in indie electronic music. He was interested in indie pop. He was interested in, in all sorts of uh, uh, throwback music and you name it. And it was just, a, it was really cool to kind of get in that mindset to think, okay, if Zach were to have lived on and maybe he would have become a film composer, what would he have written? And that was the starting point for me. Mm-hmm. And that is why I chose to write in a mode that was using what I know as a composer and what I play, but everything that I play. So guitars, bass, bells, you love chimes, you love piano, um, also singing. So I sing throughout the score mm-hmm. so much, you know, and um, if you don't have it, I'll send you, um, there's a, on YouTube is the, the theme ex- uh, shot and filmed exactly how I've recorded every part, and it's very revealing in in terms of what the um, how the music was made. You can see how I use the bells and the, the chimes and the vibraphones and all those things. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if I have. Do I have your email? Don't I? Wait. Um, this is one of the I think the, the coolest things that I've done in terms of a music. Um, video that, that shows exactly how something was made because this is such a personal project to me it, I just wanted it to be here I'm sending it to you right now okay. and it shows it shot by Aristotle exactly as it happened and it explains so much in fact you may even have a, I can see you may even have a question or two which you can fire off to me because I needed it really reflect all the things that he loved. He loved Bakkenspiel and bells and pianos and the cascading pianos and the atmospheric guitars and the arpeggiations on the piano, like, you know, the piano up and down and then me singing my heart out, singing falsetto, you know, lines of non-lyrical, but just emotive kind of letting go of, uh, of everything and making a piece that felt both sad that we have lost him but joyous about his life it dwells in the sad and happy at the same time it is truly melancholy mm-hmm. and and in a way i didn't even realize this but the instruments that i use for instance in the theme in that last section of the theme for instance all the he loved church bells by the way it's something that he was fond of and uh so i, I recorded church bells in and then i took Fiberphone and xylophone and glockenspiel and all these belled instruments and played them and then I, I did I played like live harp strums and piano cascading and then voices and singing and all and and as it came together the thing I didn't even really realize at the time when I stepped back and listened to it, it, it the, the music of clouds especially the theme and the tone of the instruments sounds exactly in a way on paper what traditionally representing heaven in the clouds mm-hmm. musically would be in an old time movie score but instead of doing it in an ironic way in a kind of a throwback almost like the, the the stereotype of heaven it is done with utter honesty and um a complete um matter of fact using the beauty of these instruments without any satirical irony or anything. It's just straight ahead. Those instruments are beautiful on their own. 
And if I would have thought ahead of time, oh, what, what can I do with the instruments of how heaven is portrayed and gone to those, I wouldn't have done it this way. It had to happen in a way of me thinking about what Zach liked and doing it just in an honest, straightforward way. And it turned out to be one of the most meaningful pieces I've ever done. You'll actually see me kind of, if you watch the, uh, the video, I kind of have a, there's a bit of a breakdown at a, for me at a point. I kind of like start getting choked up in the middle of singing it. And, and in a way, it was just so personal because here I am trying to channel Zach as if he was writing it. But at the same time, I had that feeling of kind of the presence of Zach at the same time. Mm-hmm. I never had that doing a score. It's just impossible. You know, it, it's a, a completely, utterly unique experience. As I do with all of your work, you know, I sit down and I go through each motif and I write down what it is and then I put my impression and then the musical instrumentation I'm picking up. And everything that you said, I've got in here throughout. We've got some techno, um, the beat goes up, we get crescendos. And I I notice on a lot of the motifs, you're actually uh, ending them on a crescendo rather than uh, bringing them down with a decrescendo which I thought was really interesting. But I've got church bells, block and spiel with a question mark in my notes, nonverbal yeah. voice, going through yep. each one, hope eternal, expectations, where you've got a lot of tremolo in the expectations mo- yeah. motif, and it's very mm-hmm. lilting. And then yeah, every... Yeah, the and all that, yeah. And then every well. day, it's very upbeat. And there yep. you get some techno, and it sounds like you're melding in some... some synth and then you repeat and something i notice you have the same through a lot of these there is a repetition that you carry through yeah musically through all of these motifs and it's yeah, yeah. beautiful it's not escape yeah it's, it's there's kind of an impressionistic kind of the avant-garde uh, kind of sonic scapes of things like you know william Bezinski and, and kind of atmospheric composers sort of very kind of Scandinavian in a sense and then and, you know in terms of the electronic music that pops up and like in, in some of it you know what you're hearing is actually kind of his love of throwback the new wave of the original new wave uh, in other words it's called like synth wave which is basically the analog synth of 1981 to 83 84 those early um especially pre-MIDI synths, as opposed to kind of modern polished things. That's what I use on the score because that's what he loved listening to. So mm-hmm. I'm using the Juno 60 and instruments before MIDI so you couldn't quantize it. It used to be that electronic music was played on stage with people that had keyboards and they had to play it by hand before computers intervened and made it perfect. Mm-hmm. And so when I do something that's electronic with synths, I, I just, I, you, you play it all out. You, it doesn't go into the computer and get, quote, fixed or quantized. It's all natural in a way that plays it as if you're playing a piano or a guitar or whatever. And he had a love for this kind of human element to, to electronic music that's really a throwback to me when I was a child. And for him, he was experiencing the resurgence of what I listened to as a child. It's a second kind of retro wave of it. And just very interesting that we kind of listen to the same thing separated by a generation wow and so that's why that kind of crept into the more upbeat pieces where the music and instruments of that time the reason why we associate it with like cool production was because a lot of the really hip and cool producers at the time they they were 
blazing a trail in 1982 and 83, and they did not have funds or any produce. No, no record company wanted to give them any money, nothing. So they had to buy instruments on the cheap, like the Boss Dr. Rhythm drum machine or, you know, these kind of cheaper, more affordable synths and things like that, which then, because they had the talent versus the really wealthy producers, they had the talent, the, the cool sound became the sound of synths from 1981 through 83 that were affordable and cheap to buy. So now what I do is I collect those instruments that were, they weren't the Synclaviers or the, the Fairlight CMIs that were hundreds of thousands of dollars. They were the affordable, tiny little keyboards that hip hop artists and electronic artists were using like the 808. And that's what I use on the score, which is why it kind of has that hip retro feel. That's exactly what Zach loves. So there's all sorts of complexity to the nature of why instruments were chosen. And then that kind of contrasts against the, the, the viola and the cello kind of way that brands like Radiohead use them. And, and um, kind of from the Scandinavian avant-garde scene. And then of course the singing and the bells and the way those are recorded even the harp being recorded and run through like a granular reverb and guitar pedals and stuff. So it's not, nothing is exactly on the nose and recorded perfectly, but it's done more in a way that you would record uh, like a modern contemporary avant-garde indie um, album more than a score. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and Justin, the director allowed me that latitude. And the great thing was just the reaction of family and friends and Justin and everybody that knew Zach to the music and the theme and 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 the that that they really felt like it was honoring Zach that it really was in a sense Zach you know that I try to come as close as I could to as if Zach wrote his own score to his own film. It's funny because I listened to a piece like Metro, very guitar yeah. heavy strum, acoustic that kind of morphs into an electric sound. Yeah. Which and goes up and down, and you go up and down with that, and that really, to me, that defines Zach from acoustic yeah, yeah. to electric. Yeah, yeah, uh huh. And yeah, it, it, he he loved all that, and he, he he you know, we have his guitars, you know, and they let us use his guitar, you know, they, even in the film. Um, those are his. Yeah, and, wow. and you know, all this collection in his bedroom was kept how his bedroom was, and it was exactly duplicated and replicated, and all the. We real, there are details in the film that also Justin took care, even outside the music, but the, we did with the music as well, that are so detailed that no one would know this except those closest to Zach. Mm-hmm. Um, but we felt it, it's such a beautiful story as is. There's no reason to... Some some movies are going to gild the lily, if, if, if in a sense, with yeah. the story. And there was no need. I mean, literally the sets were just duplicates of what you know, I mean, even down to the kitchen and the bedroom and the wow. you know, and 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 then the guitars. Like, is there a reason you'll be needed now? But uh, why not? Like that. That is what it was. It, that's why Zach was Zach and was so loved for all of the things that added up to it. There's no reason to try to make it bigger than life or something like that. So even in the production of the song, it was sticking really closely like he had home video of him recording the, some of these songs like mm-hmm. when he went into the studio to record the song cloud we kind of you know slavishly went in there and looked at what you can see in the video oh they're using an sm57 on the snare drum or you know an sm58 on the microphone this uh wait what are the 
Uh, oh yeah, they're using this guitar pedal. Oh, that microphone. What he thinks it's oh, using a, he's using a, you know, a, a, a guard on this. And oh, it's a D, you know, this kind of Glockenspiel. So I went out and bought like I found on eBay the Glockenspiel. Like things like like you know, just like they're kind of like way out there detail. We we tried so hard. You know, it was like we were recreating a World War II movie, like where you really wanted to be back there, except that no one but the people in the inside circle would even know. But I think that's the best way to convey as close as possible someone that had this beautiful life and an impact on the people around him, and then became millions of people around the world, you know? And um, so hopefully we, we did him honor. And of course, it's a very tough story. Um, and it's an experience to watch, but I think it's beautiful. And like you said, some of the pieces end on an up note. You yeah. live through melancholy, but like, for instance, the first piece and the last piece, the cloud theme and the cloud's main title, they end on, they go from melancholy to absolute joy. Yeah. Like the, the ending is pure joy. It goes out of the modal, major minor, like kind of modal, you know, idea of being ambiguous in its key to complete straight you know what O to joy would be major you know beautiful uplifting celebration and mm-hmm. that's how I that Zach wanted us to all remember him and I was going to be absolutely sure that his theme the clouds theme would end on that celebration uh, the three words that I wrote down for the, the clouds theme, the ending were elation, joy, and swelling. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. but throughout, I mean, there's so many things. You have an angelic note. I the nonverbal voice, though, Brian, yeah. I just think is so exquisitely done in what matters most in the clouds yeah. theme at the beginning, yeah. in expectations and. The way you are, the way you're using the nonverbal voice, it's almost like a, like a heavenly flute. Yeah, like an angelic kind of. Yeah, it, it certainly was, and that's something you'll see in this video. You'll see me singing those parts myself. You know, um, and how I kind of lean into it and I close my eyes and just go for it. And it's it's some of it is very, it is kind of like hitting notes that I. Didn't even. There's a part where it goes really high in the theme, and it's. I wrote it that part an octave down, but in the moment I went up up an octave, mm-hmm. not knowing that I could even really do that, in a way. Um, but in the moment you see it live on camera, so we did it, you know, while we were doing it, you know, and and I just wanted. I felt like it might be a special thing for me. I never did so. Was, we wanted to film it. It was just. It was an unusual thing. I, it, to be singing this piece and just kind of improvising what scale, I mean, what octave I'm even going to be in, and then you see it and then you hear it and it becomes part of the theme and it's permanent. But it's it's um, it certainly is something where I've I've always used my voice in scores, but this one was very it's very forward, you know, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know, all the way back to like scores like Six Ring Samurai and Panic and way 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 back, you know, like 20 years ago. Um, I would use my voice because I would be doing scores without the ability to hire very many musicians or an orchestra or whatever. So my voice was something that I could use that was a live element that was very true and and is going to sound, can bring bring that, that 
that kind of level of human the humanity to the score that otherwise would might be a synth or a, or an instrument or a sample or something like that but why not i have this tool you know what i mean so it's, it's been an omnipresent kind of thing in my scores but in this score i felt like it, it should really it felt like it should be more forward than than usual on every level as much as and you know how much i love your music and and how much your your film music your episodic your you know your Yellowstone scores right. and motifs but this one Brian this uh, your talent is so elevated oh, thank you. in this in this with this particular scoring everything wow. it's not often I can describe something as being right. angelic right and ethereal and it every turn i mean when i heard those church bells in the opening thing uh, i was just like oh my god yeah and then the, when we get more bells and we have the tinkle of the xylophone popping up and so often you have constructed motifs here you have notes put together and then you bring them to life with instrumentation I can't tell you how many times I have written here in my notes, floating, angelic, right. floating, lilting, once, basking yeah. in joy. It's very languid. Only yeah. once do I have melancholy, and that's where your piece embrace. There's a melancholy, a sadness. It's quiet. It's slow. It's still. Yeah. But everything yeah. else, it's just, but it's these bells. And with Upward, when you've got chimes, and it sounds like you may have thrown a triangle in there, and yeah. all the bells come together, that is one of the most magical pieces of, oh, thank you. of the entire, yeah. entire soundtrack um, score. You know, I'm, yeah, curi you. I'm curious about, I know the soundtrack was already released that has all of the vocal songs on it. And it also has your cloud score suite. What does that suite encompass? Well, I, and, and you'll see because the, the the score soundtrack comes out to, like tomorrow, which you have, yeah. right? So that yes. But the the suite was actually it's called suite, but really it is just one piece. It is the themes that I wrote, and I called it a suite <laughs> because <laughs> I wanted to have the different themes within it. But it is actually the very first thing I recorded for Cloud, and I did it away from picture. I sat down, and just the story of Zach was in my mind, and and I I sat down to write something I felt that he was right, and kind of to communicate with him in a way. Mm -hmm. And so that first piece, which is quite lengthy, um, is kind of in a way tells the entire story through music of clouds and zach in one piece you mm. know and then everything else so i was doing it almost like you would do a a a theme or like in a, in a classical way where then you would do variations after but th that is kind of the main umbrella of which everything else was born and it was the first thing i did um so yeah it's, it's its own piece in a way but it's like it, it, it wasn't an amalgam Hey, it was just me, stream of consciousness, writing music for clouds. Because the final track on the score is the clouds theme, where all these little motifs come together. Yeah, and which is actually the so the last track on the soundtrack uh -huh. is 
these things that I just sent you that is the, the video. I can't yeah. wait. Can't wait yeah. to see it. Now, I have to say, because when I, I watch the film and I love how there is Justin's actual footage of Zach through yeah. the end through the end credits. I just yeah. love that. And to and after yeah. seeing what I just saw and then seeing that, I'm like, oh my God, right down to the red plaid shirt and the yep. detail is amazing. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, how how careful or how much trepidation did you have working on arrangements for the film, which are yep. on the or the the soundtrack album that's already out? Um, those vocal arrangements. How much trepidation did you have to deviate from what right. Zach and Sammy had done? Yeah, so that was, basically, I didn't want to deviate very much. I wanted to make it so th this could be performed in a way that felt um, really true to what what they would do. And the great thing is that we had Sammy. You know, we were able to talk to her and consult and really find what, what for her was something that she she really thought was right on, you know? And um, and to get the actors, you know, the deviation is within the actor's ability to replicate it without sounding like they're a mimic. So something that's natural, yet at the same time feels feels like what they did, you know? Mm -hmm. I just love everything. I love the vocal arrangements on the individual songs. The actual one of the final scenes in the film with everybody at the Metro and the whole place erupts singing. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my God. You can't get through yeah. it without crying. No, that is a, that is for sure. <laughs> now, were you involved with that particular scene during oh, yeah, filming? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was an important one to get right. Now, no you know, and no. how, and how does that work for you when you have this whole room full of people you have yeah. a, a small orchestra there. Who are you guiding and conducting during that? Or are you just overseeing? Yeah, so I'm overseeing. I mean, we, we had to pick musicians that could really handle themselves and yeah. make sure, you know, it was like a live situation. And it's a live room. I mean, it's basically what you saw, you know. And Justin was very adamant we should do it live, which I agree, it feels real. It's, it's, so we rehearsed. And we recorded everything um, as well to get them really used to the, the pieces. But in, it was very much a an effort that was the the nature of live concert situation. So it could feel real when he broke down. Mm -hmm. So you'd have musicians that would kind of stop and 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 not know what to do. You know, should we keep going? And then the audience could pick up the slack and just then them starting to sing which was so, such a beautiful thing, you know, in real life. And beautiful to see even that, how it was done for the film because it was so much of a tribute to Zach at the same time. How exciting is it for you to now have Clouds under your belt as quote-unquote essentially a form of musical? Yeah, yeah, it really is special, no question. Um, I'm really proud of what everyone did on the film. And... I think that it's, it's great to see that people are going to be able to experience it forever. Yeah, couldn't be happier. And I couldn't be happier that I got to talk to Brian Tyler again, and this time about clouds. And it truly is a remarkable, 
uh, scoring job, um, emotional and the instrumentality. It is it is stunning, and I can't encourage everyone enough to check out the actual scoring. The soundtrack is great too with the vocal songs, but the scoring is phenomenal. And yes, for your consideration, Brian Tyler for composer for best original score for Clouds. All right, now we're going to shift some gears here and we're going to welcome one of my favorite people. Hello, Elaine Ballas. Oh, hello. I have been so looking forward to this and talking to you. You have no idea. I even got up early this morning. <laughs> it well, was like Christmas for me. Oh, my God. I love talking to you. I was telling Pam uh, that you were booked on the show. You and I had booked to have you on the show because of Free Lunch Express before the publicist for the film even got Lenny booked on the show. Oh, I was... <laughs> you... I was... I was shocked when I saw that Lenny was on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you were booked first because when she reached out to me and... Uh, about Lenny and I'm like well I already have Elaine doing the show so how about if I was like what what and I said oh yeah Elaine and I already you know don't worry you know we're already on top of this for that for this film Free Lunch Express so <laughs> it is such a great film oh my god it, it's hilarious and you you get to play Mrs. Bernie Sanders uh, <laughs> I know and I mean, the only political thing I know, they say don't get political, but I was so hoping Bernie would win and go to the White House and we could premiere it at the White House. Okay, now th uh, that would have been something really incredible. That would have been... I know. I was so hoping for that. I mean, that's a good reason to hope for, for somebody to get elected so you can premiere your film at the hey. White House. <laughs> that was the, I was telling everybody, including them. <laughs> you know, you are such an eclectic talent, Elaine. You're an actor, oh. you're a comedian, now you're an author. But the roles that you pick, they're wonderful, wonderful character roles. Of course, now you have a lead role with Love Without Which Hand. is a character. It is, oh, very much a character. Uh, in Did you see the film? Did you I see that film? I watched it. I watched Love Without Hairs. Yes, I did. Oh, good. I hope you liked it. <laughs> I, I do. I like, it's really, that could so easily translate into a theater production, a stage play. Actually, yeah, actually, that's what it was originally written for um the author is Raphael Bunuel mm -hmm. and he is Louis Bunuel the famed director it's his son oh. and um he wrote it originally as a stage play and the director Javier Barbera um I don't know how these two met but anyway, they met, and he fell in love with it. And Javier contacted me 
directly, and I thought, I don't know any of these people, you know, <laughs> what is this? And he goes, I have to have you in my film, I have to have you in my film. And so um, I met with them, and then I read the script, and I absolutely fell in love with the script. Well, it for me, watching you in Free Lunch Express, and then, you know, watching you in Love Without Hairs, the range that you have, Elaine, in developing a character is so vast and you bring so much nuance into a role. Oh, that's so kind. And, well, you know, if, if I thought you sucked, you know I'd tell you. Um, but... <laughs> I know you would. <laughs> But, yeah, we look at Free Lunch Express and look at you as Jane Sanders and your facial. That was ex- so much fun. Your facial expressions are, they are to die for, literally. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank you. It was so much fun. And I think it was just sort of a natural thing. The only thing that I will tell out of school that was so funny is, I kept trying to bribe the makeup people to do more makeup. <laughs> God. And they said, they go, no, she's very plain. You know, she doesn't wear any makeup. I go, well, maybe just a little mascara. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, lo- and I love how you play off of Charles Hutchins, who is older Bernie. Um, yes. You have a really great, shall we say, you command the scenes that you're in with him. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was so much fun. Um, and the one with the scene that's kind of like jumps at you is the one with the guy who plays Bill Clinton. Yes. Um, yeah, Don Frankel plays Clinton. And it's that whole right. interview scene, and you're at the end of the table, and Frankel in character is Clinton is sitting there, and he keeps making passes. <laughs> it's just... I know. It is so funny. And the other one that was hysterical was um, in the Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. that scene. That was so funny, where the girl's up, and, and he's just kind of passively and it's like I aggressively am going come on what are you doing (laughs) oh it's just every element of free lunch express is so funny and I'm just so tickled that that, you know you got involved with that one because that kind of so was I that humor is right up your alley yes it really is and the thing that was so interesting about that movie was we never got the whole script Nobody, maybe other than Sam, who played Middle Bernie. Right. Um, no one else got the whole script. So we were just reading pages and learned our pages and maybe snuck in to watch other scenes being shot. And um, it was just, it was so amazing. And everyone was so much fun. And the best part was it finished on March 11th and by March 13th, everything was shut down. Mm-hmm. Wow. So we got everything in and everything was terrific. And 
everyone got to enjoy like freedom and then in two days who knew it would be the end of it <laughs> oh my god but you know you also have and i'm curious as to whether this uh was gave you some trepidation or you found a little challenging is it you're playing a living person you're playing jane sanders she's very much alive she's very much present we know what she looks like um, it, it's not an unknown character to us. Does that put a burden on you or a greater sense of responsibility, even when you are playing this as a satire? I think that um, with anything, you want to give the person, especially if the person is alive, you want to give them respect and maybe not and put them in a positive light no matter what because I think there are enough people out there that probably put her in a negative light mm -hmm. and I just wanted to bring out the positive and kind of fun and maybe the relationship that she had I did um catch a couple interviews with her and the one thing I took away was she really loved and cared about Bernie mm-hmm and that comes across and that I comes across that, in your performance. You know, I think that's the main thing that I wanted to portray is that she really loved him and cared about him and she really didn't have an agenda mm -hmm. about it like maybe some political wives. Yeah. And she was bright in her own way. So, I think all in all she was just you know, it was just a fun character. And, again, I was so hoping it would have been Bernie because I would have loved to <laughs> heard her response of how I played her. <laughs> well, we'll have to put it out there because the film opens on, on December 4th. It, 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 I think, right. Yeah, on December 4th. So, who knows? Maybe Jane will end, we'll, Maybe. See, we'll see the film. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? I think that would be so cool if she saw it and um, reached out. I'm here, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> Elaine is everywhere. Yes, she is. I, so, I was so excited that you put up the thing this morning on Facebook. It was like, yay. <laughs> and then right after that, I got a call from Tony Rizzo, who's also on Facebook, and he writes for Hearst Publications, uh -huh. and um, it, they write for like 800, I guess it's papers and mm -hmm. stuff, publications, I guess that's the word, and um, that article came out today, so I said, I'm a star today. Today you are a superstar, <laughs> Elaine, you are a superstar today. But yeah, what I find I know what I love so much is you watch you in something like Free Lunch Express and then watch you in Love Without Hairs. And oh my God. It's They're so different. <laughs> so different. You play an unnamed prostitute in Love Without Hairs. Um Right. And what this is it's a two hander. That's all this is. It's you and Anthony Guida. Um, right. Are the only actors, and he is, quote-unquote, the customer. 
uh, who is really Correct. looks like a bum off the street. And he is a bum off the street. <laughs> <laughs> and the back and forth that the two of you have of uh, are they both in, deranged? Are they insane? Are they playing a game? And you keep us wondering because the two of you go back and forth. Um, he'll leave. He'll come back. And it's really interesting to see the world, or the world's plural, that the two of you are creating. Yes. And it's, um, I don't want to give the ending away, but that's the whole idea, is that the director wanted to leave it up to each person. You know, how did it really end? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my heart was, uh, I I got to that ending and I was like, my heart stopped. My heart stopped. Yeah. I was heartbroken to see that ending. Um, Because by that. that Yeah, that was the director. He, they asked him, some people said, oh, they wanted a happy ending. Some said, oh, well, what, you know. And he said, well, it's up to you. How do you want it to end, you know? I mean, well, this is the kind of story that, number one, you don't foresee a happy ending with something like this. Uh, a, story, right. a story like this. You don't foresee it. But the way you and Anthony play these two characters with the and the range of emotions you go through oh my god you're up you're down you're happy you're sad i know it was so much fun that has to be a challenge for you as an actor to be able to turn on a dime like that within a character it was i mean it was probably the most challenging part that i've ever had and I really kind of, I didn't want to watch a lot of movies similar to that, Mm -hmm. but as some people would say, it's kind of a modern day, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf Mm -hmm. with Elizabeth Taylor, but Elizabeth Taylor to me was more of a dramatic actress, and I wanted to bring the humor and comedy. I think this would be closer to a Shirley MacLaine and Sweet Charity. Yes. Oh, that was another movie that was wonderful. That was one of my favorite movies. And it's so funny that you would say that one because when I used to skate, when I was a professional ice skater that life, I skated to Sweet Charity. Oh, my gosh. Now, so wait, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I never thought about that. Okay, well, now, now, wait a know, minute here. Professional ice skater. Full circle. Wait a minute here. Professional ice skater. Uh, yes, and I was in the Guinness Sports Record book and everything for most revolutions per second in a spin. Oh my God! Did you? Did you? Who did you skate with, or did you compete? What? Well, um, no. Back in the day when I was a child, <laughs> um, it was very, very different. You couldn't earn any money whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And um, an agent saw me at the rink and said, she has to be in commercials. But that would have 
meant that I would have had to have given up my amateur standing. Oh. I mean, now they all now they win money. Yes. But um, back then they didn't. And my father was not too excited about um, breaking up the home and having my mom travel with me in a, mm-hmm. in a major show. And so I just did mainly what they called tank shows, which were in hotels and um, anywhere that they could put in ice. Wow. And uh, I did those. I did commercials. I did everything in skating. And then when I got older, um, my dad figured when I was 18, I, if I wanted to go join the show, I could. But I really kind of, I went to a private school and skated my whole life. So I wanted some of the college experience. So, and I definitely wanted a football experience. So I went to <laughs> USC because I had great football at the time. <laughs> well, now- My life dream really was to have been a running back because I used to watch football and I would see how they would run through, you know, and, <laughs> and I, I was so impressed. Oh, my God. Oh, Elaine Ballas running back. Oh, oh well, do you know, it was really funny. I was in a, a restaurant, and Eric Dickerson came in. And to me, he was the biggest star there. There were, like, lots of major celebrities there and mm-hmm. stuff. And I practically accosted the poor man. He invited me to sit with him and his girlfriend or wife. I'm not sure which it was. Um, but anyway, he said, why don't you just sit with us? And I said, okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? no, no arm twisting. Twice. No arm and, twisting. Yeah. And so I said, I've always wanted to be you. And he goes, why? And I go, my life stream was to have been a running back. And he said to me, be anything but. It's one of the hardest positions <laughs> to play. Oh, my. <laughs> So you decided to be an actor. And then I have a very good friend, Wendell Tyler, who um, preceded uh, Eric Dickerson because Wendell used to play for the Rams. And then when um, Eric Dickerson came, Wendell moved to the 49ers, which was actually my favorite team. (laughs) So I was really happy. It's like, yay! Oh, my God. And then you you give up that dream to be an actor. What were you... Can you believe that? What were you thinking? I'm still hoping I'd get a part as a running back. (laughs) Yeah, you know, when they were casting that movie years ago, Wildcats, with Goldie Hawn, you should have been the one cast in as... I know, as the daughter of the football coach, and then she goes on to coach. Oh, my, that would have been perfect. Yeah. Well, there may, they may need it to work been, on. I don't know that I would be, because I coach skating. I don't know that I'm that good of a coach, especially if you were that passionate about the sport. Mm-hmm. And um, I always expected my kids to have the same passion. And when they didn't, I was heartbroken, oh. you know. Because I always felt I was working harder and than they were. It was the same with school, you know, when I taught school for a little while. Um, it was, I was doing more work than they were, and I said, this isn't going to work. And my kids <laughs> at school used to say, why don't you go back into acting? That's the only thing that makes you happy. 
Yeah, but now, you know, you bring some of your teaching and your instructional ability back into play with how to write a book, Campy Lane style. You're teaching people how to write a book. Well, that's the thing about that, which is very funny. It started off as a joke, kind of just a fun gag gift, you know, but then before I was able to get it out there and published, we were hit with COVID. Right. Then we were hit with all the civil unrest. So I kind of went back and reworked it a little bit. And um, what I really wanted to do was get people to be, because what I do notice, whether it's teaching, school, skating, or, or just life, Oftentimes, people just kind of need a cheerleader to cheer them on or get them going, you know. And so with the book, I really wanted people to write down what is going on in their lives now in history. Because this way, when it's in their writing, the historians cannot rewrite history or their story. And this will leave their legacy for generations to come. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm doing is I'm kind of like guiding them through. Come on, you can do it. Yeah, come on, you can do it. And I was really surprised at how many people really said, oh, my God, this is just like a diary, but you're cheering us on. And I go, that's exactly what I'm doing. You know, I want it in your words. So just to kind of help you pace yourself and to kind of guide you and cheer you on, not to give up and that you can finish it because you can't write these times and I don't know what they're going to say about them in 50 years. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, I'm afraid of what they're going to say. (laughs) So it's like they're trying to rewrite history anyway and with all the the COVID, the pandemic, and then the civil unrest, and then they're going back and forth, and it's COVID, then it's civil unrest, and it's like people are kind of like going, what's going on? You know, they don't even know who they are anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I want them to be able to sit down and write. And I learned in college, because psych was my major, that, um, Hand, you know, when you're actually writing something out, it's there's more of a connection from hand to brain than yep. when they're just typing something. Absolutely. That's why I, I handwrite. So, I handwrite all of my notes, all my schedules, everything. I handwrite everything, at least the first time. I, exactly. And, you know, I'll tell you, you're in good company. Because Mel Brooks says, number two pencils and a yellow tablet. Uh, I have a constant, constant stream of yellow tablets in my house. But also fluorescent pink paper. Well, not only that, (laughs) but like with phones and stuff, and I'm guilty of this, because the phone could like be lost or go down, and then you've lost everything. And the same with the computer. Mm -hmm. So... I have a better recollection of things if I'm writing them down or I see them on paper. Yep, absolutely. And then I go, okay, that's it. That's that's one of the big reasons I do it. 
is I can actually envision what I have on my big wall calendar in the bathroom because I look at it every morning when I'm drying my hair and and doing makeup and I handwrite all everything my whole schedule goes in there um so and I always see it I have so it. many papers and everybody who comes to my house they say oh my god and I go I know I have to keep all these papers you know I just need them because it reminds me of this or yeah. when you write something out you've got it forever so a big question for you, how can people get your book? Now, they can watch Love Without Hairs on Amazon Prime. Free Lunch Express right. they, can, they can get on VOD December 4th. But where, how do they right. get How to Write a Book Campy Lane Style? Well, they can, if they're definitely computer savvy and want to do it that way, they can um, go to Platzer. P-L-A-T-Z, as in zebra, E-R, dot, media, forward slash Elaine, and they can order it there. And if not, they can contact me directly via Facebook, Twitter, or even Instagram at Elaine Ballas. E-L-A-I-N-E. B as in boy, A-double-L-A-C-E. And whoever orders a book gets an autograph. Oh. A personally see, autographed book. See, that, that's, worth the, that's worth the price right there. Does Oreo, it is. Does, it is. Does Oreo autograph it as well? He does. He does. Well. Yes. Well, that, for anybody that doesn't know, Oreo is one of the cutest little pups around. Isn't he? I am so prejudiced as a mother, but everywhere I go with him, people stop me all the time and say, you've got the cutest dog. I say he takes after his mother. Well, and, he, <laughs> and he knows he's cute, too. Oh, he does. And he's so smart. So I've got to ask, I've, I've got to ask you, Elaine, with everything that you do, be it writing, your acting, your comedy, um, being a mother, you know, what, what is the gift that keeps you going? What is the gift that all this performing, that these arts, that the acting, that the comedy, that the writing, what is the gift it gives you that keeps you pushing forward, keeps you coming back for more? Well, um, I would hate to say the applause, <laughs> but um, I think my whole life I've always wanted to be able to hear people laugh and make them laugh. And I think laughter is truly, as I say, the greatest medicine in the world. And I think to have a good sense of humor during these tumultuous times, um, it's it's just something that I love. And I always tell people that you can, it's easier to get into acting than because there is no actors anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> so once it's in you and you're addicted, but from what I understand and recall, my mother used to say that 
from the time I was three years old, I was producing because every time we'd go to a family function, I'd make everybody do a show. You know, we had to do a variety show of some sort. So I think I was just born with it. Well, I, you give the, us the greatest gift in the world, making us laugh. Um, making oh, it... that, that's the kindest thing you could say. I love that. That's what I want to do. Uh, it's, and, and you succeed. Every time I see you in something, um, even Love Without Hairs, you know, I laugh through a lot of it. I get misty-eyed through a good portion of it, and I cry. And yes, you bring, you give us so much, Elaine, and you make us keep coming oh, back so for kind. more. You make us keep coming back for more. Oh, good. And, you know, it's so fun because in Free Lunch Express, I'm really putting this out there that Bernie and Jane see the movie and we get to meet them. <laughs> <laughs> that. that would be great. Or, or even the real, even though I heard they sold it, but Ben and Jerry, because those <laughs> two were such characters. It's, Everything about that film is hilarious. Everything. It is. Everything. Yeah. Len did such an amazing job at writing it. He was so good. And Sam was so good playing the middle Bernie. Mm -hmm. All of the Bernies were great because um, uh, John, uh, Jonah. Jonah um, Britton, yeah. Josh, who played um, the young Bernie. Yeah. He was amazing in how he had the accent down and everything. Oh. He was terrific. And then Charles, of course, was great as Bernie, current Bernie. And Sam had the, you know, the major part mm -hmm. of all the in-between stuff. And he just, I don't know how he did that and produced. He did everything. You know, it's called passion. That's that's the only yes, answer. And that or insanity. I know, they, they could go hand in hand. They're close. They're close. They're close. <laughs> oh. When people are that passionate about things, most people think you're insane. So oh. that's okay. You know, I think it's a good insanity. I think so, too. You know, unfortunately, my friend, we are out of time. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, we are out of time today. Oh. Oh, breaks my Debbie, heart. you are the best. And I ask about you all the time when I talk to our mutual friend, Tim. Aww. Tim Binder, and he always speaks so highly of you. And um, I say, how is she? And when I told him I was doing the show, he goes, oh, great. I'll have to listen in. So and hopefully he did. A shout out to Tim. Tim religiously and listens. He really does. He religi what? Tim religiously listens to the show. He really does. Oh, good. Good, good. But and so I'm just, I'm so excited to have stuff so that I can share it with you because you are the best. Oh, you really are. Thank you. And tell everybody to watch Love Without Hears on Amazon Prime and to wait for November, I mean, December 4th. And they can see Free Lunch Express. It'll be a good Christmas gift for them. It sure will. It sure will. And to get my book, and I'll personally autograph it. And so will Oreo. He will, too. I see. will make sure he autographs it. 
Oh, Elaine, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And I can't wait until you come back oh, on thank again. You. Oh, hopefully soon. I hope so. And in the meantime, I will chat with you online. Absolutely. And wishing all of your listeners and everyone a happy and safe holiday season. Oh, you too. Thank you, Elaine. Okay, thank you so much for having me. And actually, Oreo's here, but he's being so good. Do you want to say something, Oreo? Hmm? No, he doesn't. He's just kissing Mommy. Well, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that. Okay. He's I'll, the best. I'll talk to you soon, Elaine. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Elaine Ballas. And yes, we ran over. How can you not run over when you're talking about Oreo and you're finding out about Elaine and her whole life's work of skating and teaching and she brings it all, all that life experience she brings to the performances she ta she tackles. Ah, well, that is all the time we have. Um... Next week, we got a full house next week, including dear, dear, dear director, Joan Wiggins Carr, uh, who I have not spoken to in a while. I adore Joan. She has a new film coming out, and I am so excited to have her on the show uh, to talk about that. And then we're going to have uh, another live guest next week as well, too. So, until then... I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.